Hello and welcome to Bend the Knee, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast. I am Sir Matt, the Bud Knight. And I am Sir Jimmy of House Nuts. Welcome to our Song of Ice and Fire book club. Today we are into Storm of Swords Davos number two. Yeah, you know, back with Davos here, Jimmy. And, uh, you know, last time we saw him, he was washed up on that shore praying to a lot of gods and this time now it's kind of like a totally different chapter to be honest because now we're meeting Salazar San yes. and getting a little more of like what's going on in Essos and kind of Davos is beginning to game plan about what his next sort of actions are going to be and this is really almost more of a Stannis Melisandre chapter because it's Davos's ideas of hey this is what I'm probably the route I'm the path I'm going to have to take forward mm-hmm. And uh, we also get to meet some other people, you know, like Edric Storm, you know, shows up in this chapter. So some this is sort of like a George is creating pillars that are going to or, you know, as he likes to call it plants. Yeah, he's building out the relationship between Salador San and uh, Stannis or Stannis, sorry, (laughs) Davos, which is really cool. It makes us, you know, have a better idea of who Davos is and why people respect him, which, you know, we have a lot of backstory at this point. But I still think that it's like these little intimate moments uh, where he's still feeding us information that uh, we kind of build an attachment to the character and they feel real and tangible. Um, So these kind of conversations are really well done. Yeah. Absolutely. So before we dive into that, we do uh, have a little more news here about the writer strike. So we did an episode about that last week, but we'll dive into it here again, just because we did actually get an update from George Martin himself talking about it. So I'll read this here and I'll sort of paraphrase and skim through some of it. So he just says the writer strike is on, you know, no one wanted this, no writer with any ounce of sense anyway, but the producers and the studios and the networks and the streamers gave us no choice, gave us, he says, right? Remember, he is sort of a showrunner. So he's in like a weird position where he has been a writer for things in the past but at least hey this is the side he's on and he probably does belong to you know several unions and things like that so he says the guild negotiated right up to the final deadline on may the 1st but it takes two to tango in the waning hours of may 1st the writers guild of america declared a strike the action began on may 2nd there are pickets in front of every studio lot and soundstage in la and many in other cities as well get used to them i expect they will be here for a long time so he sort of uh goes into a little more detail he says i'm not in la so i cannot walk a picket line as i did in 1988 but he goes on to his full you know i want to go on record with my full support of the guild so he goes on a little bit to talk about you know just some of the writer strikes there's one in 1988 that lasted 22 weeks the longest in hollywood 2007 to 2008 strike which we talked about last time we did an episode basically killed heroes uh as well as you know derailed a lot of other franchises and everything then saying this one may go on even longer and he sort of continues on and you know we've talked about this and he just sort of goes about like you know what is the deal now we actually get into a little bit of news here revolve involving some of his other projects here and some of these other streaming services so and you know the big one being hey what's going on with house of the dragon and winds of winter and a night of the seven kingdoms so he goes on a little bit here saying many of you will be wondering rightfully about the impact of the strike on my shows. The second season of Dark Winds wrapped several months ago. Post-production has been completed on five of the six episodes for that series. The show will likely air sometime on AMC. No decision on the third. It says Peacock has passed on wild cards. It says, you know, alas, Dang. a pity. 
but we will try to uh, place it elsewhere, but not until the strike is over. The writer's room on a night of the seven kingdoms, the hedge night has been closed. Ira Parker and the incredible staff of young, talented, you know, young talents are on the picket lines across the ocean. The second season of House of the Dragon started filming April 11th and will continue in London and Wales. The script for the eight season two episodes were all finished months ago, long before the strike began. Every episode has gone through four or five drafts and numerous rounds of revisions to address HBO notes, my notes, budget concerns, etc. There will be no further revisions. The writers have done their jobs and the rest is in the hands of the directors, the cast and crew, and of course, the dragons. So he goes on to give us a little more news here saying some of you I fear may ha be having anxiety attacks just now and are mistake you know are on the mistaken assumption that the strike will affect winds of winter. You can relax. The WGA is a union of film and television writers. It has nothing to do with novels, short stories or any other form of prose fiction nor comic books or graphic novels, stage plays nor the editing of collection of anthologies. I have ongoing projects in all of those areas. And that work continues, you know, unbated and wins continues to be my number one priority. So, uh, you know, that basically uh, sort of sums it up. He just kind of continues on a little bit here uh, and just says, you know, like, hey, I'm in support and everything. It could be a long fight. Um, so the big kind of takeaway, you know, is some of the stuff that we already talked about in you know, the episode we did last week where we talked about, is this really going to impact House of the Dragon? Right. And I was looking at this right now uh, over on Star Wars because season two of Andor is being filmed right now. And there were concerns about it affecting that show. And the showrunner just said, hey, I'm going to be handling any of the things that come on the fly. But he said in their season one, they didn't they actually the writers did almost next to nothing on the show. So it just kind of depends show to show. Um. You know, fortunately, I guess the, the the question here is, does George view is George like a showrunner producer in this scenario who can be the one to step in? Or is George going to say, hey, I'm with the writers. He's kind of, I mean, kind of in a tricky spot here. Yeah. So I do know that uh, Severance was very like they had their scripts were also finished because the two shows I actually care about on television, like the only ones are House of the Dragon and, uh, and um, Severance on. You're going to say Succession. But Succession. I haven't caught up. So oh, I do yeah, care about it. Good. I'm just but, you know, being waiting for the next season, you know, these are the only two shows. So Severance actually did shut down. Uh, even with their scripts completed because uh, the producers and stuff did not want to pass the picket line. So I don't know where George will be at uh, with this. I imagine with the hefty amount of money that he was paid by HBO that there may be certain clauses in there that he has to show up for. Where I don't know. Uh, I don't know how all the internals of that stuff work. But one nice thing is, is that the scripts were not just written, but rewritten and thrown out and worked and edited and everything else. So we're not talking about a first draft. Uh, we'll fix it on set. It sounds like they're pretty solidified and also, knowing that they want to be way more aggressive with their shooting schedule, that doesn't really shock me. And they probably had rumblings that this was coming. Apparently, it's been coming for a long time. Uh, so I imagine George will be there, if I had to guess. Now, Ryan Condell, I don't, that's different. I, I'm not right. sure. Uh, I would like to think that as long as George is there, everything will be Gucci gang. But 
remains to be seen. I'm not too thrilled <laughs> that Duncan Egg yeah. is getting is getting kind of put on pause. But I, uh, in our last episode, I said I felt like that would probably be the case, and uh, it turns out it is. So hopefully they can resolve this thing somewhat quickly. Right. But we weren't going to yeah. see Duncan Egg for years, anyways. Anyway. So. Yeah, you know, I know that David Zaslov, who's obviously the CEO of Warner Brothers Discovery, did talk about like James Gunn and the writing process because mm -hmm. a lot of people were asking about, hey, the Superman movie that he's writing because he is like the head of DC now. And he's like, you know, and kind of like, a, why did you say that type of a yeah. thing? You know, it's like all these writers are striking because they want more money. And you're like, well, he's not a writer. Uh, so he's gonna be working on it and it's like oh boy that just sounds <laughs> the more he opens his mouth the less um inspired i feel uh, as a morning <laughs> uh, and uh <laughs> so yeah uh, that's where we're that's where we're at with that but yeah so at least you know that i guess that does kind of you know raise the question i mean they can always still go to george to say hey you know what's going on anything i guess my other question for you jimmy is and a question that now should be sort of raised with this writer strike shows that are being filmed currently mm -hmm. are they going to be rushed because if there's a writer strike a lot of other shows down the pipe aren't going to be being filmed and written and finished so I really hope this isn't the case, but, you know, with something with like House of the Dragon, thankfully it's under the HBO umbrella. But, you know, the past two years, you know, that was impacted by COVID, at least over on Disney, you look at Marvel and a big complaint about a lot of Marvel things over the past two, three years has been, man, the CGI is not very good. Yeah, because they're trying to make, you know, the release dates happen and do this sort of, you know, quantity over quality over there and then go back and fix it later. Like that's, yeah. that's what they've, they've been going back after the show is aired. I'm like, all right, let's fix some of the CGI and, and make it better. So do we have any concerns there with house of the dragon? <sighs> I would say, yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm yeah. a little concerned for sure. Um, and just also the timelines, right? Cause like we are going to be waiting like a year and a half for season two that is on schedule right now. And that, that's not the best. I always say, you know, people are like, I'm not going to watch it. Cause it's like, you'll be fine in a year and a half. You know how much going on. You're going to watch it. Right. But I think shows can lose steam. I think wheel of time has lost a lot of steam because of how long they've been taking to get season two out. I mean, if not like, yeah. I literally am like, I think that show's dead. I'm, I'm literally, I'm, I'm, I'm serious. I think the show's dead. I, I just, I don't understand how it's, Especially now with the writer strike, how I, I don't I don't I don't get it. I have there there it is the worst marketing. Like it is so awful. I can't even begin to explain. <laughs> uh, and, and for those who don't know, Sir Matt runs uh, Heroes of the Horn, and uh, you know he's he's That's, not a hater that, like me. The show's about as dead as that YouTube channel. So I mean, it's <laughs> just it, 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 it's I mean, it's just there's nothing there's nothing going on with it. Yeah. So like, you know, whenever you wait two years for a show, almost uh, that, that, that hurts. I season three house of the dragon might be two, two and a half years, depending on how long the strike goes, because they would be working. They already got the green light essentially for season three. So they were, they were starting to work on season three right. and they had mapped some things out. Uh, one thing I do feel good about is your point last week <clears throat> when you said that you've wondered if them like cutting season two a little bit short, and moving stuff around like if that was the prep was, for this i 100 percent think it was yeah. and one of the things that george mentioned and this is just kind of in general i thought was interesting he uh, made a post today talking about what he thinks are the big issues and he was talking about how television 
being cut down to even less episodes is a it's a terrible thing because you get less experience on set for junior writers, junior producers. And essentially, he's saying that, like, all of the great producers of this this day and age that people love are people who grew up in, as junior writers on shows that had 24, 48 episodes a season. And now you're only getting eight sometimes six episodes a season and there are no junior writers anymore. They are not on set. They are not in the production trucks. They're not doing these things. So George has a lot of, a lot to say about that. And I always wonder if he resents the fact that like maybe game of Thrones was, you know, obviously cut short in the last few seasons. Like, I wonder if that really bothers him. Uh, and I wonder what he thinks about even 10 episodes for house of the dragon. I wonder if he, if he feels like it should be 20, I don't, I don't know. I mean, he probably. I mean, he probably does, and I've, I'm just putting it up here a little bit so just to sort of skim through it. Yeah, this was another post he made today, and it's just sort of a little bit more about the writing experience and all of that can be found over on you know georgemartin.com uh, backslash not a blog, which is yeah. uh, where he he po he posts everything. Uh, but yeah, you know, even if you look at it here, he talks a little bit about his experience as a junior writer and just what you know that was. None of it would have been possible if not for the things I learned about the Twilight Zone as a staff writer and story editor. He was, of course, talking about the success of Game of Thrones and everything yeah i mean you look at you think about those shows that are like those still like nbc abc fox shows that are like the 23 episode the 23 yeah. minute you know with commercials 23 i mean those shows that's the thing and i think that's one of the things that like killed like heroes as we talked about now you know with something like house of the dragon where it's gonna be eight episodes that's where it's still an hour long so if you sort of do the math it's like okay well it's really it would be like the equivalent of like 16 episodes of mm -hmm. network television but there's a lot more you know inside of a say 50 minute episode of you know game of thrones i think was about like 50 ish minutes a season yeah. and then you have credits at the end and there's no commercials obviously because it's on hbo but you know how much of that is the credits how much of that is the just the opening scene so then you condense it a little more how much of that is just something in game of thrones where you'd have like huge you know camera pans over throne rooms and everything yeah. else so then you begin to pan it down even more but there is a really interesting statistic and i'll try to pull it up here if i can that shows the amount of dialogue per season in game of thrones and it and just drops, and drops. It, it, it like it like goes up until about season four and then it just slowly goes down yeah as they relied more on the big explosion battles CGI battles hollywood hollywood things <laughs> yeah <laughs> so again I, house of the dragon season two i guess now I'm, I'm not as concerned about the filming of it yeah and like the writing that they can so, sort of fix on set i am more concerned about the vfx budget yeah just because i could see them saying we need to get this out there because the bigger problem is now you might have no shows because of this writer strike yeah. Right. Like you like you if you don't have any shows coming because there's a log jam and this is your big one. Well, you got we got to get it out there, whether it's good or not. Yeah. When those subscriptions start failing, uh, you're going to see panic. Also, remember that the last strike was the grand pivot to reality television uh, that a lot of networks switched to reality TV. And we already know the discovery bosses are, want to turn HBO into Dr. Pimple Popper extraordinaire. Seriously. Channel. I mean. Um, it's is hold on has the name has it has the name changed or is it still it, HBO it is Max? Changed. It's changed. It's Max. Is it Max officially now? I when believe I go to it, HBO Max.com, it says 
It may, maybe it's not official it's in the, the end of this stuff, month, but yeah, they they are right. switching it. They said HBO is too. Uh, customers get like intimidated by it. So they're like, gonna call it Max. Although, although one of their promotional images literally said Max, the place for HBO. And I was like, bro, what are we doing? Like, what? How stupid? Like, it's that's so middle dumb. level management. That's what that it's is. So stupid. <laughs> just I watched it on Max. I it's so. It's no, I just, just don't want I, this to be fumbled. I just had it just been Warner fumbled. Brothers Max, we'd be like, okay, we get it. Like that makes sense. But I'm sure because the guy is who's the CEO is a Discovery Channel guy. He's like, well, obviously we gotta keep. Yeah. <laughs> so people uh, can watch, you know, Forge and Fire or whatever. I mean, maybe we get some cool crossovers like that. Can we get a yeah, Game would, of Thrones Forge and Fire episode? <laughs> have you ever have you ever watched Forge and Fire? Because it's actually I'm not gonna lie, it's actually I actually like it. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's pretty it's pretty sweet. But it might not even be it. Discovery, it might be National Geographic. I don't know, but um <laughs> no anywho. All right. Well, that's that's enough of that. We can we can dive into the uh the chapter here today, right? Yes. Uh, Davos, he's also undergoing some, you know, changes and some realizations about, mm -hmm. <laughs> about, about things right now. So here we go. Davos to a storm of swords. So Davos learns that his son Devin is alive and that mainly only the Florence remain to King Stannis. Many of his other bannermen who were captured during the battle bent the knee to King Joffrey. He also learns that Lord Gunser Sunglass was sacrificed to the fire by Melisandre as an offering to R'hllor. Salador Sand tells Davos that Lord Alistair is now the hand of the king, but Stannis remains in the stone drum and sees no one but Melisandre. Davos plans to kill Melisandre because he blames her for the defeat and the death of his sons. He reveals as much to Salador, who tries to talk him out of it. When put ashore, he meets Serene and Edric Storm. The boy greatly resembles Robbers and Renly, and he reveres his father. Edric says that his uncle Stannis should have chopped off Davos's, should never have chopped off Davos's fingers, but the Onion Knight knows that Robert was a different man than Stannis. Before Edric can talk further, Sir Axel Florent arrives and takes Davos into custody for plotting to kill Melisandre. So this is actually, um, it's one of these chapters where it's kind of a big chapter, but uh, you know, like not a ton happens. It's our first and, look since Blackwater Bay into Stannis's camp, which which is yes. major. Uh, and also the best part about this chapter is that it plays into the mystique of Melisandre. Like, how did she know Davos was planning to kill her? Did she just suspect because, you know, he kind of threatened her before? How does she know? Was she taking a shot in the dark there or a shot in the fire? I don't know. Uh, yeah, maybe so. <laughs> Uh, here we go. I always like to read the opening little lines here. When he came up on deck, the long point of Driftmark was dwindling behind them when Dragonstone rose from the sea ahead. A pale gray wisp of smoke blew from the top of the mountain to mark where the island lay. Dragon Mount is restless this morning, D Davos thought, or else Melisandre is burning someone else. Hmm. Melisandre had been much in his thoughts as Shayla's dance made her way across Blackwater Bay and through the gullet, tracking, uh, tacking against uh, uh, contrary winds. The great fire that burned atop the Sharp Point watchtower at the end of Massey's Hook reminded him of the ruby she wore at her throat. And when the world turned red at dawn and sunset, the drifting clouds turned the same color as the silks and satins of her rustling gowns. 
So kind of an interesting little note there is that here we go. And this is one of these things where hasn't been confirmed in the books yet, right? Mm -hmm. That Melisandre is glamoring into someone else. Like we don't, mm -hmm. we don't, that's obviously a big show scene where she takes off the Ruby and we see it. And of course there's also the flub where Melisandre's in the bathtub and she takes the Ruby off and she stays the same. So, you know, that's like an obviously like huge plot hole or we just kind of forgot that we might do that later. You know, yeah. is <laughs> what it is really, uh, to be honest. But in the event, Melisandre is, of course, someone older. And, you know, that's one of the things as we always jump into theories that we're always saying, well, Melisandre might be like 100 years. Well, we don't really know that in the books not confirmed yeah. in the books not at not all. confirmed in the book she actually could be who she says she is and the glamour but we do know that she does help glamour others yeah so there's certainly a thing but if you look at the language here in this chapter davos is looking at the great fire that's burning he's looking at the way that the clouds turned the same color as the silks and satins of her rustling gowns and it reminds him of the ruby that she's wearing mm. the ruby seems very important yes and of course you know just here we go george perhaps hinting at something you know that was at least shown to us in the show that's probably still going to be i think that i do think the the melisandre is actually older is something that will be the same in the in the books we just don't know yet because we haven't gotten there but um you know that is a, a nice little line there by george showing us something that's probably going to happen in the books yes yes uh and we also need to have to remember that george uh when asked who's the most misunderstood character in the series he said it was melisandre and we're supposed to get POVs from her in the Winds of Winter. So whenever I'm reading these chapters right now, as we're going through them, I'm I'm trying to also remember that we're seeing her strictly through Davos's POV, who has a less than favorable uh, opinion of her. And certainly he has a point in some of his stuff. But I'm also trying to remember that like Melisandre has her own uh, perspective on things. So I'm very, very curious to see what what she ends up looking like. Uh, you know, in Winds of Winter. And then obviously I think the John POVs in Dance of Dragons gives a different light for Melisandre as well. But just something to keep in mind. And Davos doesn't want to admit Stannis is kind of uh, an asshole, does he? Mm -mm. Nope. <laughs> nope, not even a well, little bit. And we thought of that last time too, right? The last, yeah. the last Davos chapter we did is he blames Melisandre. He's looking at the gods. He's looking at all these things, but he still sort of refuses to believe that it's Stannis. Yes, that is the one who's doing anything wrong. And that, of course, is going to be something interesting in Winds of Winter if Shireen does get burned. Yes, which we believe will happen because George said that was one of the big moments he gave Dan and Dave. So I think it will happen. Right. The question is, is whether Stannis is there or not. Or Davos have, is there. Yeah. Yeah. Like, is, is Stannis the one who gives the order or does oh, I see what you're saying. Melisandre do it? Because remember, Stannis is a Winterfell. So he has right. to somehow get all the way back up. Well, also, I think also, no, uh, so I see what you're saying. If Stannis is there when Shireen gets burned. Yes. But what if Davos is there or not? Because in the show, Davos show Davos realizes what happens afterwards. Hmm. Because that's one thing we really didn't get in the show was Davos. Because when Davos comes back, you know, like when he, when he, when he, when he arrives and everything, 
and like the, the battle, everything, he sort of just like immediately gets scooped up into John's camp and they resurrect John and we're moving on to the Battle of the Bastards. Mm-hmm. We don't get like the Davos coming to terms with why, like Stannis, why did you do this? Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll see a confrontation? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Because if that happens, then that does move around some of that, some of the state, like yeah. Stannis is the Stannis is still, and I've, I've been saying this for years, is the number one wild card in, <laughs> in yes. Winds of Winter. Like nothing else in the entire book series can happen until we deal with him as a character. Yeah, he because... has to be settled. And let's just say he is there in Shereen. Like this this battle the battle of the bastard, him at Winterfell marching, like something has to happen there that, that is going to be vastly different than the show, I think. Uh, but also for me personally, what I see from Davos's arc is him eventually having to confront what we're talking about. And if Stannis just dies in the battle and Davos doesn't finally get to the, like he's eventually his eyes are going to land on Stannis and he's going to say, I have to break with you, my King like that. That is yeah. Stannis's and Davos's relationship. I think uh, at the end, I would be like kind of disappointed if Davos, not, not just Melisandre standoff, but him having to finally confront that Stannis has lost it. That's the Stannis just doesn't, ha- he's lost the plot. <laughs> he can't, he, he can't continue to do these things. And uh, Davos has to kind of break for the guy who gave him everything. I think that that is such a, such a George moment that uh, I'd, I'd be shocked if we don't see that in the books. Right. You know, you know, I, um, I'm just getting the, the text. I'm going to pull some text up here on the screen, mm-hmm. but you know, it's also just one of these things where, you know, we look at Davos's for Davos's arc to sort of continue right now. He's going to go get Rickon and ride I guess r- perhaps ride a, a unicorn. <laughs> yeah, because right now the, the big I think the biggest question of wins a winner is do we move forward? Does George move forward with Stannis beating the Boltons? Or do you move forward with the Bolton speeding Stannis? Because in the books, it seems like Stannis might win. And if you go that route, then you can't have a battle of the bastards. And mm. the way they use the way they do the battle of the bastards in the show doesn't work as well as the way you do it in the books. Cause the pink letters are pretty different. Yeah. Like in the pink letter that, st- that, um, Ramsey sends to John in the show says, I have your little brother. And who is, as far as we know at that point, like the true heir to Winterfell because mm-hmm. they don't know what's going on with Bran and everything. So it's like, okay, like, well, now we have to go. Like, we have to go get him. And of course, Sansa is there. Well, Sansa isn't there in the, <laughs> you know, it, Sansa's not there in in the books. And the uh, what's her name is pretending to be Arya. So Jane Poole, you know, yeah, exactly. Jane Poole, yeah. Jane Poole is pretending to be Arya. So it's it's just a such a different scenario as to what's going on in Winterfell. So, I mean, Mance Raiders in Winterfell right now. Exactly. By the way, yeah, like it, that's it, a crazy it, thing. <laughs> it's so it's just so different. So if you would have to resurrect John bring Rickon in, get captured. Maybe he sends another letter to the only other person. Maybe he sends, I don't know. You know, it's like, it's just so different. So to me, I've kind of felt like the Battle of the Bastards, it might not even happen. 
In yeah, the and especially because you think about it, like it, it's the catalyst for John to essentially uh, destroy his vows to the Night's Watch, right? Right. Uh, among the other things that he's doing that people don't agree with. And then he gets stabbed and he dies. So it. <sighs> It does seem like it, it does lend itself to the idea that Stannis loses, dies. Melisandre has now resurrected John. He's now Azora High to her. You know what I mean? Like I could see that playing out. But you still have to do all this Shireen stuff. And well, here's... I, I think Stannis might be get thrown back, and maybe he ends up at the wall then. Well, maybe. So let me read. Let me, I want to pull up another another line here. Um. Uh, just because it's sort of uh, it's it sort of show, just showing on like showing like what's going on in Davos's mind. So let me I'm going to pull this up on the, on the screen here. Um, so if we look at some if we look at some of the text here, right? You know, he's thinking the Red Priestess has always seemed loyal to Stannis until now. She has broken him as a man breaks a horse. She would ride him to power if she could. And for that, she gave my sons to the fire. I will cut the living heart from her, you know, and see how it burns. And then he'll go on again here in uh, some of these next lines, right? You know, and he's thinking about what the gods did. Surely the gods did not bring me safe through the fire and see only to kill me with a flux. Like, you know, he's thinking about getting sick. It could have been Melisandre that protected you in theory through these fires, right? I mean, you know, it's like the fire is your ally is what she sort of says. So the fires kept, mm. you know, in, could be keeping you safe. So that's why this is, you know, Davos's arc and I think also Brienne's arc tie in more with some of the things we saw in the show with Stannis surviving at the beginning of Winds of Winter than us getting to a Battle of the Bastards situation. Yeah. So... Although we do, in theory, need something to do with John because John got killed because of the pink letter. So John's resurrection should have something to, I guess, you know, go along with that. So that's know. like, the, that's I don't know if it the, has to, though, right? Like he could get resurrected and all that stuff's handled. Like a lot of that stuff is also with the wildlings, too, I suppose, like yeah. the way he treats the wildlings. So what we could end up with is actually like a John and the wildlings going to take over a Winterfell run by a Stannis who we now view as evil, right? Because if Melisandre and Stannis, if Stannis maybe might be the one to suggest to Melisandre, I think we should burn Serene. If you go that route, like he's like, maybe I, I haven't given enough to the R'hllor. And or, Yeah, I think so you have you, to put him in a super desperate position. So I feel like him with, winning Winterfell doesn't put him in a mindset where he would like risk burning his daughter. You know, right. So I almost feel like he has to lose. But there's also there's another angle to this, because let's not forget. And a lot of people love this. They, they believe that Brienne is the one that will kill Stannis because she pledged to. like like she did in the show. Yeah. So it's like, <laughs> how does she get up there? <laughs> there's so well, much to figure out. Can you see why wins is such a hard book to write? <laughs> exactly. When the Stannis is the. Everyone says it's like what's going on over in like Marie, you know, the Marisa not yeah. and all the stuff. It's like that stuff's easy to figure out. I mean, like it's the Stannis angle that throws ever that throws everything off. But I still kind of like what you and I discussed a while ago when we were looking at Sansa in Winds of Winter, and we were looking at that tourney of Ashford Meadows theory mm -hmm. with the five champions, right? You know, and it ends ultimately with a Targaryen. And Sansa has been pretty much pledged to or whatever a Targaryen. And we said, OK, well, maybe she could be 
in theory, like pledged to or suggested to marry young Griff. And then ultimately we see her leave with the Knights of the Vale and we think she's going to go down and then she ends up showing up at Winterfell to help win some battle. Because what I could see happen is maybe Stannis, as he does in the show, you know, Renly and the Boltons go torch his camps and then they think, well, we're screwed because yeah. men desert and everything and we don't have enough men. So that's why he decides, all right, we're going to burn Shireen because we need this. We need to win this thing. And then it ends up not working and then everything's lost and he's ultimately killed by Brienne of Tarth. So if you hear some of the blocks you can move, maybe Stannis loses a battle, but he's still in a similar position. I still think you almost need to have him win because you need Davos to come back with Rickon to be somewhat significant or important. And I just don't know how you do that like you did in the show. Yeah, and we also know that his plans have changed a lot. <clears throat> like, you know, besides some of the bigger moments, like I think Shireen does get burned. I think Bran is king. Uh, I, there's a lot of stuff that he said that has changed even since he said that stuff. So who knows? Maybe Stannis might be around even longer. We might get a totally different uh, rendition of this in Winds of Winter. God, that book's going to be big. Oh, it's going to, I mean, yeah, it's, it's, it's going to just have to be. Yeah. So, um, okay, well, we'll continue on a little bit here, you know, in, in the book. And some of it is uh, Davos as they're just sailing towards, mm -hmm. you know, Dragonstone and everything since the Battle of Blackwater are going to go essentially reconvene and, uh, you know, just kind of continuing. But we do get to be get to see some of these things, you know, the king he wheezed. I must go to the king for where the king is. I will find Melisandre. You know, no one goes to the king. Corrine uh, uh, Samantes replied firmly, Salador San will tell you, you know, him first. Davos was too weak to defy him. He could only nod. Salador San was not the only, was not only aboard his Valyrian. They found him at another quay, a quarter mile distant down in the hold of a big bellied uh, Pentashi cogged named Bountiful Harvest, counting cargo with two eunuchs. One held a lantern, the other in a wax table. Tap, uh, tablet and stylus you know and they're just counting they're just sort of counting money here you know when he saw davos he stopped suddenly is it pepper spraying my eyes or tears is this the night of onions <laughs> who stands before me you know now uh, now how can it be my friend davos died on the burning river i'll agree why has he come to haunt me you know i am no ghost sala so the ghost of winterfell you know it can't be davos why is he no ghost <laughs> All right. <laughs> yeah. So, um, you know, and we'll continue on a little bit, a little bit here too, but I did, uh, you know, you know, like some of the, you know, some, some of these lines too, like again, the burning river Davos died on the burning river and that association with fire. No, well, he didn't. Is Davos Azora high? <laughs> He's, he is certainly one. This, well, this, <laughs> these chapters right here is one of the reasons people suggest that he could be, a candidate for it yeah because of the salt and then the burning and he's kind of mm -hmm. born again and he's saved yes it, it is it is fascinating hey you know another really interesting thing that gets mentioned in this chapter uh and it's just it's just a name but i thought it was fascinating illyrio gets mentioned in this chapter 
Oh, okay. Where's uh, maybe that's Salador San is talking about like, let's go and do this. Uh, Illyrio Mapatis, a whale with whiskers. I am right. telling you truly, these chairs were built to his measure, though he is seldom bestirring himself from Pentos to sit in them. Uh, so we, you know, we get a little Illyrio drop here. Mm hmm. Yeah. And then he asked him, How is it you came by a Pentashi ship? Have you gone pirate again? You know, uh, and he sort of continues on, you know, he's like, I only ask what is due to me. My gold is owed. Oh, yes, but I am not without reason. So in place of coin, I have taken a handsome parchment, very crisp. It bears the name and seal of Lord Alistair Florent, the hand of the king. So that's kind of a nice little. Illyrio is okay. kind of supporting the rebellion a little bit here. Huh? Yeah, exactly. Um, then he sort of asked, then they sort of dive into a little bit, you know, about his. Uh, hand you know the old pirate laughed i cut off no man's fingers though what are a good bit of fingers the ships i am taking the cargoes if you ransom nothing unreasonable he gave davos a sharp look you are unwell my friend that cough and so thin i'm seeing your bones through your skin and yet i am not seeing your little bag of finger bones davos says i lost it in the river which was you know the thing that he had around his neck right which uh, was what he felt like sort of most entitled to stannis Right, because Stannis didn't take his life. Stannis, that's he like he views as getting his hand, his fingers cut off as a, as a reason to support Stannis. Hmm. So again, you know, it just continues with the sort of rebirth, you know, idea of 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 Davos here. So, and in um, a way, he was kind of rebirthed when he became the Onion Knight too, right? Like a smuggler yes. to an Onion Knight, and now, now what is he? Certainly yeah. still a king's man, but I don't know for how much longer. Yeah. Um, you know, so we continue on here. Uh, you know, and he's talking thinking more about like, I need to go. I need, I want to just go meet with, with Davos. Um, so you know, my duties to the king, not your purse. The war will go on. Sanus is the rightful heir by all the laws in the seven kingdoms. You know, all the laws are not helping when all the ships burn up, I am thinking. And your king, well, you will be finding him changed, I am fearing. Since the battle, he sees no one but his broods and his stone drum. Queen Selyse keeps court for him with her uncle, the Lord Alcer, who is naming himself the hand. The king's seal she has given to this uncle to fix the letters he writes, even to my pretty parchment. But it is a little kingdom they are ruling, poor and rocky. Yes, there is no gold, not even a little bit to pay. Faithful Salador San, what is owed him? And, those, and only those knights that we took off at the end and no ships but my uh, brave my little brave few a sudden racking caught over uh, a sudden racking caught bent Davos over Salador San moved to help him but he waved him off after a moment he recovered you know no one what do you mean he sees no one his voice sounded wet and thick even in his own ears no one but her said Salador San and Davos did not have to ask what he meant you know you're tired it's bad all of these things he said I will be fine he's like I need to know about Melisandre that one so. track. <laughs> yeah. Um, so they just kind of continue on here. You know, Melisandre, the red woman did this to him. He said, she sent the fire to consume us, to punish Stannis for setting her aside, to teach him that he could not hope to win without her sorceries. The Lysini chose a plump olive from the bowl between them. There's George always diving back into food. Just a little bit there. <laughs> you know, you're not the first to be saying this, my friend. But if I am you, I am not saying it so loudly. Dragonstone crawls with these queen's men, uh, you know, and they have sharper ears and sharper knives. You know, and he says, I have a night to cut out Melisandre's heart if she has one. 
you know, he convinced him again. He's like, Dad, you know, you can't say these things. He says, no jest, I mean to kill her if she can be killed by mortal weapons. Davis was not certain that she could. He'd seen old Maester Crescent slip poison into her wine with his own eyes, and he has seen it. But when they both drank from the poison cup, it was the Maester who died, not her. You know, a knife in the heart, though. Even demons can be killed by cold iron, the singers say. Yeah, Davos kind of reinforces a lot of the mystery surrounding Melisandre. And is she magical? Is she not? I mean, clearly there's something going on here. But got to give it to Davos. Uh, he is brave because he truly believes these things. He's not even sure she can be killed by mortal weapons, and he's still going to try to kill her. Uh, right. So he is props brave. Got to give him yeah, that. Pro yeah, props to Davos. Um, <laughs> so he goes on a little bit. You know, he's like, you're an onion smuggler. What do you know about skulls? Uh, you know, stabbings, you know, you're ill. You can't even hold, you know, the dirk, the dagger. You know, what happens to you? He says, servants of the dark, she named them poor men. And the red woman sang of that the fires were lit. Davos is unsurprised. I knew he thought. I knew before he told me. She took Lord Sunglass from the dungeons. Uh, just so and burn them. And she will burn you. If you kill the red woman, they will burn you for revenge. If you fail to kill her, they will burn you for trying. She will sing and you will scream and then you will die. And you'll only and you only just have to and you have only just come back to life, which is kind of an important thing. You know, resurrection, all of these things, uh, as we see that in various different ways in in the book series and this is why i said davos to do this thing to make an end of melisandre of ashai and her works what else why else would the sea have spit me out right are we discounting you know perhaps davos who almost drowned the drowned god in this chapter uh, maybe damn it because the drown oh, to be fair the drowned god is the one god like the seven we look at as like a joke we like look at this you know it's like we really look at the great other and we look at as you know relore as like the two main gods and then i feel like the seven just as like fans and everything like all the theories and everything we basically just look at them as absolute joke like they don't even count essentially right mm -hmm. but the drowned god is like the one that's out there that is this sort of we don't know how powerful the drowned god is or how important the drowned god is but the drowned god may have been the one that actually saved Davos. Yeah, and you know we also hear weird things about the drowned god from all the Greyjoy perspectives and and patches, and I don't know. Um, it 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 does make you wonder a bit if we're underestimating what's going to happen with the drowned god. Uh, maybe we're underestimating the Greyjoys as well, right? You know that 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 would be that would be an interesting study. That would be something we could do is look at resurrections by di how like how resurrections of any kind in theory change characters. Yes, right? patch face, patch right, face is a good example. Right, because we know that R'hllor, you know, raises. Um, uh, oh, I got uh, blanking on his name, Beric Dondarrion. Mm -hmm. So we know that that is one. We know that Lady Stoneheart, right, is raised um, by Relora. She also drowns. Is she, in theory, raised by the Drowned God, too? You know, I don't know. Because does, she, does the Drowned God have any control over her? Like, if if somebody dies, I mean, you know, her throat is also slit, but she is thrown into the river. Like, is there anything that goes into that? In theory, Sir Duncan the Tall is raised by the Drowned God. Remember in the second book... Uh, the the sworn sword he's fighting oh god what's that guy's name 
it's something like kind of Lucas Longinch. Is that his name? I think so. Yeah, long. I know it's Longinch. And anyway, he's fighting him. Remember, he's fighting him in a river, and uh, basically, he like passes out, like as he's as he's fighting him, and then mm-hmm. he's brought back by the maester who happens to know the drown the ways of the drown god. Yeah, that's an episode we we got to do. We got to do like all s- possible alleged resurrections because Patchface, remember, he gets washed up on the shore um, and they think that he's dead. They say Patchface wa- washed up among the dead three days later, his naked skin white and wrinkled. Jami swore the boy's flesh was clammy cold. The fool was taken or dead, but then he coughed up water and sat up. Patchface had survived the shipwreck, albeit unknown uh, how. He is now broken in mind and body, and the ordeal has taken his memories and half his wit. What happened to him during the two days out on sea is unknown. Right. Some people say mermaids caught him. Some people suggest the drowned god. But for all intents and purposes, Patchface should have been dead. Exactly. So, you know, that's just it's another it's another angle to consider because we don't really get a whole lot about the the drowned god. And we also don't really know exactly how powerful the drone mm-hmm. gun is and if it is a player you know as we progress in winds of winter and we get much more about urine gray joy we can see that the drown god is a significant player the drown god in theory could be connected to the great other yeah right? and you know some people also suggest that i know we made fun of the seven but the stranger being the house of black and white could be so, that's, that's, so i think it's just one of those things where it's George loosely ties the, the gods that, you know, we don't really think about the gods and like magic and everything unless they're right in our face. Yeah. And it is still one of the reasons I love some of like the wild theories about like Bolton perhaps being a vampire because we're like, what a joke. You yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. But it's there is quite. But then we look at Aria learning faceless magic. Well, like, that's pretty cool. And it's literally like a group of people who are like, hey, we cut the skin off of other people as the sigil of our house. But when we think about them, perhaps doing like pretty similar magic, we're like, well, that's a joke. Right. And (laughs) another thing to think of is there's a chance that all these gods are actually just one God. And the humans have assigned these unique characteristics to them and personalities and, and rituals. uh, When in reality, it is just a God meddling and right. in in mortal affairs we do tend to forget that there is a ton of fantasy in this fantasy series <laughs> i know i know it's it's some of the genius of it but if you look at you know if you look at some of you know obviously george bases a lot of his stuff off you know real life whether it's actual history of you know europe during you know yeah, War of the Roses. Yep. The War of the Roses, you know, the Middle Ages and, you know, all of these things. Um, you know, there's obviously other influences as well that he uses. But I mean, obviously, one of the things, you know, you look at some of the gods and you look at some of the gods in our world that we know of and things like that. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between different versions of, you know, different deities and stuff like that, even across religions. For sure. I mean, like, you know, when you look at like the devil and Christianity, like down in hell and you, everyone goes there, you know, when you die, if you're bad and everything, look, that sounds pretty similar to what Hades does in Greek mythology. It sure I does. Mean, you know what I mean? Like it sounds pretty similar. So, and a lot of it was bar- barred from Dante's Inferno. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, yeah, they really glamored it up a bit. Yeah. So yeah. So, you know, that's, um, so it could be, 
I, I would say it's what, you know, George using some of, some of these things. Yeah. Um, okay. So he goes on a little bit here, you know, he's uh, still trying to convince him not to try and kill Melisandre. He's like, you know, just, you know, now it's time someone killed her. He's like, yes, just so someone, but not you. You're as weak as a child not and no warrior. Uh, so I beg you, we will talk more and you will eat and perhaps we will sail to Bravos and hire a faceless man to do this thing. But not you. You must sit and eat because he's thinking about some of the other things. But I believe we did just get, I want to say, here we go. The mother, she blessed me with, you know, seven sons. And yet I uh, let them burn her. She spoke to me. We called the fire. So here he is talking about the mother, which is one of the seven. And we did talk about the seven in the last chapter. And now here we go. And he says, you're no warrior. Now, what he's saying, saying that to Davos, you're no warrior, as in like, you're not going to go be able to like cut down the guards around her and everything because it's the lowercase warrior as in mm -hmm. like the actual term of it. Yes. But George as a writer is also using, you know, two of the seven back to back right there. It's interesting. Yeah. And then he says, let's hire the faceless man who, as you just said, Jimmy, might you be know, might be. Might be the stranger. So <laughs> it's all pretty. That's something we'll have to keep track of in the Davos chapters is like the actual connections to the seven. Cause the seven actually aren't really brought up in many chapters. No, they're not. The last Davos chapter is like the one other than like a couple Catelyn chapters where she's talking about them. Mm -hmm. Like there's one Catelyn chapter in a clash of Kings where she like praised like all of them, you know, yeah. Like, uh, yeah, I think the high Septon stuff uh, definitely brings up a, a decent amount of the lore for that uh, later, later down the road. But in, in a lot of ways, Davos is our like he's not a pious character, but he seems to be the one where we get the most about the gods. And remember, the only people who saw this shadow killer and, you know, Davos really saw it. I mean, he saw the birth of it out of Melisandre, which is crazy, but is Brienne and Brienne is sworn to kill Stannis and Davos is sworn to, kill. you know, it's just, it's, it's a big mess, but Davos yeah. has right to be, you know, a skeptical as far as being agnostic comes in, in, in Westeros because he has seen the devil in the flesh, uh, at least in his eyes. So, you know, he, he's yeah. firsthand experienced a lot of this craziness. Yeah. So I'm um, just continuing on here in this chapter. Uh, that went too far. But, um, yeah, you know, he is going to end up uh, getting sort of back and he's sort of ask, you know, asking about like, hey, like what's going on? He meets Shireen, you know, Shireen almost caught, uh, caught him then. But in the last sense that he hopped over a patch of Bracken uh, and vanished amongst the trees, the princess was right behind him. The sight of them made Davos smile, right? You know, playing and everything. He had turned uh, to cough into his glove when another a small uh, shape crashed out of the hedge and bowled right into them, knocking his feet off. The boy went down as well, but he was up again almost at once. You know, what are you doing here? He demanded as he brushed himself off. Jet black hair fell to his collar and his eyes were a startling blue. You shouldn't get in my way when I'm running. No, Davis agreed. I shouldn't. Um, you know, then he's going to ask a little bit about here. You know, do you have a name to this boy? Um, you know, Sir Davis Se Seaworth, the boy looked up. up him up and down dubiously. Are you certain uh, you don't look very nightly? You know, I'm the Knight of Onions. The blue eyes blinked. He said he talks about blue eyes a lot in this chapter, by the way. Which <laughs> yeah, is, he does. Right. Uh, and then he talks about the pale blue eyes earlier when he's um, 
talking about someone else. So anyway, he says, I'm Edric Storm, he announced, King Robert's son. Like, whoa. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, just like, boom, here we go. And that's the game. This is a game changer. And Edric Storm, for people who are sort of show watchers, a lot of the stuff that happens to Gendry in the show actually is this character's path. Mm -hmm. And what do you what do you think is going to happen with Edric Storm, Jimmy? Well, I think most likely uh, he actually will kind of make it through. This is, is my guesstimate. And I think he'll pop up again later because I feel like George is going for like a generational thing. Cause we've also talked mm-hmm. about, um, um, Oh man, why am I blanking on his name? Oh my goodness. Um, Gendry, not Gendry. Uh, help me out. Starfall. Um, kid. Oh, Edric Dane. Edric Dane. I'm sorry. I, I just totally blanked. That's okay. So Edric Dane, you know, kind of like the next generation. And then obviously we have like Aryan Brandon and everything. So I feel like Edric storm might, reappear like later down the road but i might be wrong on that i might just like his name so much that i <laughs> edric storm's a badass name yeah it, it is It'd be a great pro and that would be a, it would be a great wrestling name yeah. edric storm you know like yeah. some sick like lightning going down your That's what i'm saying that could be that could be pretty cool <laughs> um so then we yeah so we yeah we dive into a little bit here he's you know robert was a different man than stan is true enough this boy is like him i and like renly as well uh though you know that thought made him anxious mm-hmm. um then we get to see axel florent here you know the lord of life lord of light i should say <laughs> um and then basically he says the onions float sir have you come to take me to the king i have come to take you to the dungeon seize him Take his dirk. He means to use it on our lady. Well, you shouldn't have been saying that stuff out loud, Davos. Yeah. Bad choice. Yeah. So um, any kind of closing thoughts about this? I mean, I know obviously a lot of it, Jimmy, ties into what we think about the Winds of Winter and like Davos's arc going forward. There's definitely some cool connections here. I didn't, you know, uh, think about like until you know, we dive back into this, just some of the stuff with the mother and the set, oh, the seven. Illyrio seems to be kind of supporting the rebel cause and sowing discord. So yeah, uh, this chapter is great. Uh, it gives us a little bit more of an attachment to Davos, keeps him on that same path of being blind to Stannis's faults and wanting to kill Melisandre. And uh, certainly we get a ton of the stuff about the gods from Davos here in a storm of sword. So good chapter. I like it. Yeah, I'm just looking at the Song of Ice and Fire reread subreddit because I like to. Uh, they do a great breakdown in a lot of, of, of a lot of these chapters. Um, I was trying to see if there's anything sort of on, over here that's like per, prediction. Um, so something he says, there's a line that says, um, when Davos is looking at the outer harbor, he notices two cogs and a Bravosi galley the horn of plenty when Tycho uh, Nestoris comes to the wall representing the iron bank he comes with two cogs and a galley is the iron bank collecting dues in white harbors are they uh are they loaning so that's kind mm. of interesting good question press yeah i guess Preston uh Preston Jacobs did a video on that uh is what the what the comments are that's a that's a these are the things. There's all these little buried things in, in these chapters. Yeah, so many details. Um, even on multiple, <laughs> even on multiple rereads, you know, you're still multiple rereads. Stuff. Yeah. 
So that might be sort of it for uh, for this chapter. But yeah, I mean, um, there's a lot of attention drawn to the blue eyes, which I thought was kind of interesting, especially because I think is it to show the difference? And is he George doing it here? Because when he at the beginning of this chapter, he says, um, Corrine uh, Sathmantes, a Lyceni like Salador San, who shipped this one, had the pale blue eyes you often saw on lease. So we get that, and then it just sort of continues on and on, and then we get, like, deep blue eyes to try and draw that connection. You know, why... George talks about the eyes a lot, but I guess what I don't really understand... You know, is it just to sort of give us a little subtle hint at the beginning of the chapter so at the end of the chapter we think more about oh he has deep blue eyes and they're like robert as opposed to just sort of general yeah blue eyes or is he just giving us character descriptions he could be you know that's that's another thing we have to sift through the the only problem the only problem with with george some of george's character descriptions is that he really likes to point out details about characters Mm -hmm. and it's often to show us the diff like it's often to highlight yeah. yeah specific things about characters and why some things might look one way you know another yeah. in another way like you look at the stuff around young griff right yeah. and it's, yes. oh the color of his hair and the color of his eye you know yeah he put he, he uses colors in a very clever way um you know a lot of other fantasy also has colors like i'm thinking of wheel of time but it's very on the nose and it's kind of told to you what the colors mean in the in the moment uh whereas george i think it takes it acknowledges it and then uses it for more subtle and clever purposes yeah um okay we did have there was a comment i wanted to dive into um and i don't i'll try i'll try and pull up exactly who it is so i can give them credit but the comment was actually on one of our uh, youtube shorts and the question was simply does john connington know that young griff is a black fire hmm Ooh. i think Think? Which I thought was which I thought was kind of an interesting thing because I don't oh, don't think I that don't I've know. ever specifically like viewed uh, it as I don't I think he I don't think he knows and I'll tell you why it is too much of a direct I don't think he would lie about something with Rhaegar because I think he loves Rhaegar and I think that Illyrio and possibly Varys know that if Young Griff is supposed to be Rhaegar's boy that. Connington will a hundred percent be loyal to him under any circumstances because it is the last remnants of Rhaegar. So I don't think he knows that young Griff is a fake. That's my guess, but he's also traveled with them and the dyed hair, all that other stuff. It's like, maybe he's aware, but I just don't see him faking and, and taking away, um, you know, something that would be Rhaegar's and being able to counterfeit it. Yeah. So the yeah. So the comment too, it came from Harsh Yadav. I'm hope I'm hope I'm pronouncing that uh, correctly. Yeah. And it was just it, the question was, what if John Connington finds out that Fagon is a Blackfire? Which then sort of raises the question: Does he know? So I don't think he knows, and I think he finds out he's going to flip shit. Right. Which would create a really interesting dynamic in Winds of Winter if. Because it does, I, I'm, I'm with you. I don't think he knows. Because I don't think he would be doing all of this 
if he knew. Because I think he genuinely probably believes that this is the legitimate yes. son of Rhaegar Targaryen, which and is maybe, why he's probably so interested in it. And maybe he's even willing to turn a blind eye to the obvious signs that he's not. But I could see there being a big falling out. Griff loses. I think he's going to sit. I actually think he's going to sit the Iron Throne. Uh, but, you know, he's not going to be there for long, possibly. And he's going to fall. And I can just see when Connington finds out. I think Connington does find out about uh, John's parentage that mm -hmm. that will set him off to go find John. That's my guess at the very least. Right. So. I'm a big fan of the Samwell tells John Connington about the parentage thing or he's there or learns it. Yes. From John Connington. That's where I'm at because, and that's when I, I I'm sure other people have theorized it too, but that's when I definitely started talking about a couple of years ago, because I think you look at some of the things we've seen in the show and stuff like that, where in the show, Sam is at the Citadel and Sam learns about, Rhaegar and Lyanna Stark through a book that Gilly reads. Yes. But what well, the other thing that happens at the Citadel is Sam runs into uh, Jorah Mormont and he helps him remove the grayscale. Well, the grayscale John Connington has. So if we get a similar situation and John Connington has to go to the Citadel and get it removed, then he could tell him about here's who I am and here's yeah. what I believe and all of these things. And Sam could have already been reading books and everything and yeah, Connington's also a big X factor. And if Griff goes, does Connington go? I don't think so. I think Connington's coming back to Westeros and has a life outside of Griff. And, and when Griff and eventually, yes. I don't think Griff makes it to the end at all. Uh, and right. when he goes down, I think Connington will live and serve another purpose in the narrative. Yeah. Yeah, I think, you know, and we've talked about this before. I just... I just don't, I don't know. I, I see scenarios where young Griff is the, is the real deal. And I see scenarios where it's not where he, where, where he's not, I think it's kind of more fun if he is. Cause in theory, he, it could be him, John and Danny in the end, all teaming up and taking out white walkers and three heads of the dragon <laughs> and doing the whole thing. But then you're still going to potentially get this Danny clash with him. So there's no way that he is not some kind of villain or makes it through the series alive. Yeah, regardless also, of whether he is the real deal or not. I also don't know if we'll ever find out if he's the real deal. It seems like a very George R. R. Martin thing to leave that up to the reader and have us argue about it for the next 30 years. Uh, yeah, I, I, I could see it not being cleared up. Yeah, I think at this point, even though we have the Duncan egg and eventually we may get like the Blackfire Rebellion stuff. If you're just a reader of the main series, the Blackfire stuff is there, but it's not nearly as detailed as it is in like the Duncan Egg and the World of Ice and Fire. And then I'm yeah, sure it's hinted Fire at Fire a lot. Yeah, it's hinted at a lot when Jamie's going through Westeros. But like, you, you know, really you, have to spend a big block talking about it. Yeah, you need to be a pretty perceptive reader, I think, to pick it up on your first time through. Um, but on rereads in A Feast for Crows, I couldn't believe how much Blackfire stuff there was. Like, I was like, right. What? I didn't even remember this happening in feast. Right. Um, so I do think it's there. Uh, and it's mentioned a little bit in the first three, but four is where like it really comes prevalent. Uh, but yes, I would agree with you. Like, I don't necessarily know if it has to be confirmed. I don't think, I don't think it necessarily needs to be <sighs> like, that's not a question. George needs to answer. I don't know. I think he does. You think? Yeah, because if it's going to come down to Jon Snow being like the true son of 
see the pro like the in the show because they never introduced young griff then it's just john snow is the son of rhaegar targaryen so you think that we'll get a is john the snow. only is the only living son of rhaegar targaryen so you think like, john was... snow and fagon face off I don't I don't know that they necessarily face off. It could be what we have in the Jon Snow series. We've talked about that before, too, is they may try to somehow bring that back and go down that path in the in the Jon Snow series. But in the books. Yeah, I, I don't know that they're going to face off, but yeah, there's. You're going to have to explain it or do something with it, because the whole deal is that Jon Snow is supposed to be the true heir. Did so you know if. If young Griff is legit, then it like he's you're gonna have to kill him or something for it to be like Jon Snow mm -hmm. is the is the real deal and he's the the true prince that was promised and the song of ice and fire and all you know all of that stuff. Mm -hmm. You can't you sort of weaken John if young Griff is real because you know then there's like this other person in front of him. You know I yeah I don't think he's real. Um, I don't think he is either, but I still think you, you would to you'd have to you have to do something with him. I just had a random thought, but like we always talk about Cersei running away, maybe going back to Castle Rock, and like who's Young Griff gonna marry? What if Young Griff marries Cersei? That would be wild. Good. That would be wild. He, he could, and then she just backs him as a legit Targaryen. Like, like it would be such right. a Cersei move, like. Cersei could still marry Euron. He looks just like Rhaegar did. You know, it's like, oh, no. Right. right. There's some fun food for thought. Just fun. Yeah. So much fun. You know, we talked a lot about in the chapter about the Stannis block to me is still the number one that, you know, that's a video we should do is what is the number one? What do you think is the hardest part of writing Winds of Winter? Yeah. Which angle? Is the is the hardest? Yeah, and you should use a map and be like, all right, well, if you do this and you shift this character here, you know. So. Yeah, it could be a lot of fun because there's a lot of logistics to play into this and and where you're gonna put people. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> I mean, I'm sure George has like a map and he's just like moving pieces around. Like, all right, I gotta move this person here and this and here and this. <laughs> <sighs> fun time. So, all right. Well, with that. I think that's our episode for this week as always we want to thank you guys for playing the game of thrones next week you know we say this every time barring any other major news uh yes. as has been the case about every other week this past few weeks we will be discussing a storm of swords jamie too and if you like our podcast don't forget to subscribe like us write a review leave a comment or send us a raven at btkcast at gmail.com or bend the knee podcast.com yes and uh one of the news we did just drop jimmy i guess i should have said this a Patreon and Apple premium episode talking about, we talked a little bit about this last week, but I'll plug it again here. Uh, the over analytical statistical breakdown of the Jon Snow chapters that I did. Uh, so for those of you guys who are on Patreon and Apple premium members, go check that out because it was pretty freaking mind blowing. Yeah. And could definitely uh, generate some <laughs> thoughts. If you're a listener who likes to theorize and come up with your own conclusions. Yeah. Some interesting correlations found. Yeah, uh, in, you know, 65% of brand chapters, Jon Snow's mentioned. So what does that mean? And anyway, with that, we will see you next time. And remember that winter is coming. <laughs>